Log Talk Radio. Well, both game sevens took place in the West, right? And um, 
Last night was Utah and Denver. We'll talk about that in a minute. And tonight we got OKC and Houston. But let's 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 wrap up for a minute about the East. What's going on in the East? Okay, like I figured these series would be much more competitive what they are. Like last night, Boston is up to nothing on Toronto. I did not see that coming. Um, and you know because I had. Whoever wins this this particular series between Boston and Toronto, I have to win in the East because uh-huh. I like like I like Miami, and I and I actually I picked Miami to beat Milwaukee because Milwaukee is the soft, softest tissue paper. I know I said that many times before. Um, they're a great regular season team, but man, they choke like dogs in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I mean, hey, I mean, you, you saw what what uh, what's the name said. Uh, Giannis said when the uh, reporter asked him, you know, why would you take Jimmy Butler? Because Butler let him up for 40. He said, I only do what the coaches ask, which tells me he has no dog in it because let that be Jimmy Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard. They'd be like, or LeBron James. They'd be like, look, I'm taking him. Yeah. <laughs> Damn what you say, coach. I'm taking him. That's what leaders do. So, anyway – um, give me your thoughts right now on Milwaukee and uh, and Miami as they're playing right now. Well, uh, we can just rewind a couple of weeks, or about a couple of months, actually, um, before the playoffs yep. start, or before the playoffs started, and we, we actually discussed this. Um, it was kind of, you know, almost a, a gut deal even back then that we knew that the final four teams coming out of the East would be Milwaukee, Boston and uh, God, Miami. You know, it's some Miami. question of whether or not it would be between Miami and Philadelphia, but it kind of was solidified when um, Ben Simmons got hurt, right? And right. we also talked about how dangerous both Boston and Miami could potentially be. But because of tall ball, especially as it pertains to the Milwaukee Bucks, I really thought that, right. you know, it would be good series between those two, depending upon how the matchups would go. But I really believe that because of the tall ball that Milwaukee plays and how uh, – uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who, who started that phrase. Someone uh, – I, I want to say it was Chris Webb. No, no, no. It was uh, 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 Jalen Rose. Jalen Rose started using that term of tall ball about two months ago. So, yeah, I've been using it liberally as well, but I've got to make sure that I pay homage to him because he was the first place I heard it. So I was expecting Milwaukee and Toronto to use the tall ball to their advantage and to bully the likes of the smaller team. But that's not what we're getting. And, And I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised, because of the useful nature of Milwaukee, and because not necessarily youthful, but um, God, there are a lot of people who thought that Toronto would take a step back by losing Kawhi. I was one who was a little bit on the opposite of that because I was thinking, okay, the rest of the team got their confidence because of their finals win last year and was going to carry that mm-hmm. over to this year. But for whatever reason, <laughs> They're allowing that, well, Jimmy Butler mainly as of right now and um, right. the rest of the Miami Heat to do what they want to do with them and keep games close and, and, and force that team 
of taller players to play more outside than what they should, which hopefully, for them at least, they, they've corrected so far tonight. I haven't had an opportunity to see what the score for tonight's game is, but if they don't or if they didn't, it's going to be problematic for the Bucks, And it could continue to be problematic for um, the Toronto Raptors as well, but I can see how Toronto can potentially turn this around and linking out this series. But this has been very interesting, especially yesterday's game, how they entered the fourth mm-hmm. quarter down um, by almost 10, and they were capable of turning around. And <laughs> actually, the the, 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 the the Boston Celtics didn't play anyone yesterday over 6-9. So that goes back to my whole small right. ball theory of the Boston Celtics with uh, uh, Jason Tatum being the tallest star, quote-unquote, um, that's been playing with them in, in, in game two at 6-9. So they've been able to stretch mm-hmm. the floor and stretch the floor effectively um, with Toronto. But, um, yeah, they're going to have to go ahead and, and, and bully these dudes and, and, and try to make them play a, a, a game that they might not be comfortable with. But um, mm-hmm. we'll have to see if that happens. Because they continue to try to run with Boston, yeah. they're going to get ran out of the gym. Right. And that's the thing, because Boston, I mean, it's one thing, that's one intriguing thing about the Boston and Toronto series. Sorry about that. I had, you know, it's like you're on your, you're on your phone on the podcast, and then you forgot that your laptop is now on mute. <laughs> you get some commercial in the background. <laughs> that's what happened to me there. But anyway, um, it's interesting, this series, it happens the best of us. Um, you know, Boston and Toronto both so damn well coached. I mean, I, I had that going at seven, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just doing it out. Uh, I'm just doing this off of memory. But I had, but still stick with Toronto in seven. Um, but damn, Boston looks pretty damn good, man. I mean, they smacked Toronto around the first game. Yeah. And Toronto actually, I mean, you gotta keep in mind, like it was nip and tuck. Then Toronto went on a run in, in the third quarter. And, you know, all of a sudden, Boston just manned up in the fourth and just took it to him. Um, and how about Marcus Smart? You know, good old Marcus Smart, as a Bostonian would say. He, he he balled out in the fourth quarter. He hit those big threes in the fourth. Yeah. He went back to back to back. One time he got fouled in the group and one. Um, he's just tough. He, he's he's one tough cookie, man. But But, man – but I'm just what. But both teams are well coached as hell, and which is why I like whoever wins the series to come out of the East. But remember, before this, before the season even, I picked Boston to be in the finals because I thought that the addition of Kimba Walker would make such a huge difference for Boston that mm-hmm. and I, I think that's why I'm going to be this this good. That I thought that the Celtics would use that, and you know. Milwaukee is still soft as tissue paper. I figured that they wouldn't have trouble with Milwaukee this time around. Um, but, man, see Boston take the first two games. And, granted, I know there's no home court advantage in this bubble. I'm just amazed that Boston was able to be able not only go up 2-0, but to do it in such ease in the first in game one. Oh, yeah. So, that's going to be one of the series. And, you know, Jason Tatum, he's a man. He had 34 points. Um, and then the last game, um, and you know you got you got to account for him. 
Of course, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Coach Kimber's doing his thing. Keep in mind, man, that this Boston team is still young. They are still young. Yes. And, you know, I know Kimber Walker has a big contract, but still he's not for so old. Gordon Hayward, who's injured, is not for so old. Mm-hmm. So you have a young squad still coming to its prime. I mean, this is this. I, I, look, everyone knows this Knicks fan hates the Celtics. But damn it, <laughs> this team here, this team here, future, they're like knocking on that door, man. They're, and once they break through, they're going to stay probably for a long time as long as they keep this team together. So That's the game. Either, I'm just, yeah. But no, to your to your point, um, especially with the Boston Toronto series, um, game one <laughs> from the get go, uh thirty about thirty seconds into the game, once uh, Boston hit that first shot, they never trailed in yeah. game one. Never. Um <laughs> and then you, you kinda got the opposite end of of that spectrum where like I said before, they were down eight going into the fourth and Toronto shoots five for 21. So, yeah, they're going to have to shoot a whole lot better, especially when closing out game three, if they want to go ahead and, and bring the series up to 2-1. But last I checked, um, Miami was was up five with a, about three and a half to go. So if they can hold on, uh-oh, Giannis. Uh-oh, they're up eight right Giannis. Now. They're up eight yeah. now? Uh-oh, yeah, right now. One All right. So, yeah, so it's, yeah. I don't, it's as talented as that team is. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Because, yeah. you know, when, when, when Orlando <laughs> smacked him in the face in game one right. in the last series, you know, we were kind of like, okay, all right, fine. They, they took one from Milwaukee, but Milwaukee should be able to turn it around. Miami and yeah. Orlando. No, Orlando had no business winning the game. They were about no, they, uh, they were they were about Aaron Gordon. They were a glorified G League team. They had no damn business taking one game from Milwaukee. That's why I said on social media and I screamed out loud to cats in the neighborhood. We were watching in the front yard, of my, of, in my front yard, by the way. Ah. I should think that. Anyway, uh, nice. he, you know, I screamed out loud. My not Miami, but Milwaukee is soft. They're I, I screamed, they're, they're fucking soft. That's why I said. But they're, but they're so soft. Because, I mean, come on. It's Orlando. An Orlando team, the Voivis are, I mean, hell, they, I mean, they, they, they played hard. They played very hard. But they shouldn't, they shouldn't take a game from Milwaukee like that. No. Anyway. But um, speaking of, like, speaking of which, for tonight's game, I mean, hell, I I picked Miami to win the six. They might even sweep them if they win tonight. Because um, uh-huh. Miami, remember I told you, man, a while back, Miami is tough. They are tough. Very well coached. I mean, this is a match made in heaven for um, for uh, for uh, Jimmy Butler because he plays hard, obviously. Because remember his odyssey, coming from Chicago, being coached under um, under the tutelage of uh, of Tom Thibodeau. He gets traded to to Minnesota to reunite with Thibodeau. But he liked the fact that both 
Cardinal Towns and Andrew Wiggins were both soft. Well, they're still all soft. In the case of Cardinal Towns, he's still soft. Because um, remember, when in that practice where Jim Butler took the backups and beat the hell out of the starters in the pickup game and yelled at they're soft. Um, and then he gets traded. Then he got traded to Philadelphia. He did well there, but he was upset over the fact that 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 Ben Simmons and Joel and B, even though he got along well with Joel and B, that they weren't taking it serious enough. So, which led him to Miami. You know, he had a chance to join up to link up with LeBron in the, in the, in the Lakers, but he's like, "No, nah, I got. I want to do this myself." And so, cool. look at my right now. Um, perfect match with with a, a guy like Coach Coach Bostra, led by Pat Riley in the front office. That is, they're tough. They're tough, well coached teams. Um, well coached teams. So if, if 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 like Miami's still up by eight, is a minute fifty six left. If they win, like I said, if they win tonight, they're sweeping Milwaukee. They're sweeping Milwaukee. Um, so, but but what does that do to Giannis's legacy. I know he's still young. He's like, what, 24, 25 years old? Um, he's about 23, 24, yes. Okay, so what does it do for him, his, his, his rep? Because more than likely going to be the MVP. He always won Defensive Player of the Year. He's probably going to be the second or third or first player to do it since um, Akeem Olajuwon did it in, in the mid-'90s. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you well, – first of all, two questions. What do you think it's going to do – to his to to um, to Giannis's rep, I think it's going to damage his rep a lot, and I think that it's also going to affect Coach Bonehoser. And he may be he may he, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets fired, even though he's a he's a damn good coach. But he did this in Atlanta too, back in the, you know, way back when, led the Hawks yeah. to plus win, only got to get swept by uh, LeBron and Cleveland um, in the East Conference Finals. It's like that's a knock on Bonehoser. Bonehoser, rather. It's regular season teams are great. They play good defense. But come playoff time, they hit a wall. So I'm afraid for Bonehoser that if he might, I wouldn't be shocked if he got fired. So what say you on on Giannis, the future of Giannis? Well, not future. Well, kind of, yeah, the rep of Giannis in the future of the head coach of Milwaukee if they get swept in the series or even lose in the series. Well, I'm not as concerned with Giannis's rep as you are because, like you said, he's 23-24, right? He has a lot of time to turn this around, right? The thing is it will right. be a little tainted, and people will go in the next year questioning him, and he's going to want to get oh, sure. prove He's going to have to prove them wrong. The thing is, though, no one's going to necessarily believe him if he does it in the regular season. He's going to have to prove them wrong right. come playoff time. Now, their head right. coach, yes, I believe that he'll be on the hot seat. Um, for his sake, I hope he doesn't get fired. But, yeah, it's going to be very hot for him because you can't, especially getting swept. I don't, I don't care right. what round it is. It just does not look positive for you to get swept in any round, even if it's the NBA Finals. It just doesn't look well for you to get swept. And he's going to have to at least attempt to avoid that from happening. But as of right now, it's not looking good. And even though today's game is is, is close, I mean, mm-hmm. game one was close too. But right, 
like I was just looking at the stats while talking to you, and Giannis's stats, his stat line doesn't look bad. He's shooting about 50%, got a 22, 24, with about 13 boards. Nice stat line, but for uh, MVP candidate, potential league MVP, you only need more than, than, than 22 or 14. You're going to need at least 30 and 16 from him. And right. without seeing how they played today, my guess is that once again they attempted to stretch the floor. They're going to, he's going to go ahead and have to be physical with these dudes and impose himself in the middle and try to slow this game down to benefit Milwaukee more so than it right. does Miami right now and, and, and hopefully take the game out of Jimmy Butler's hands. One of the things that I heard people kind of question, but at the same time, shortly thereafter, state that they didn't need much from him, was they brought up a bomb out of Bayou's play and how it's diminished. I'm like, and they brought it up too, yo, he's doing his job. He doesn't necessarily need right. to put up points to be effective in this series. What he needs to do, what he's currently doing, is slow, and what the rest of that team in Miami is doing is slow down Giannis. And, and, and they're doing just that by keeping him from getting that 30, which I believe he needs to put up on a nightly basis in order for them to be a threat of winning a game. If they can continue to do that, so be it. But that was the other thing, too. Everybody that played with Miami tonight, they got on the floor, scored. And they had seven yeah. guys in double digits. You can't have that. I don't care who you are. If you let me play NBA Live, I don't care what year it is, or maybe even 2K now, and you allow me to get yeah. seven bammers on my squad in double figures, you're not beating me, dude. And then it happens in real life, too. You're not beating any, any team that has seven dudes in double figures. You're not doing that. Right. Right. I agree with that. Um, I mean, look, I mean, Giannis, he's he's playing better this game, to your point. He has, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, damn it, he had 27 points, just missed the second three throw. He has 27 points, 14 boards, okay? He did better, a lot better than the first game. He wasn't even the second leading scorer. It was pretty much Chris Middleton. uh, Mm Mm-hmm. What's his name? And then Brooke Lopez. I think it was Robin Lopez. Oh, it's a Brooke Lopez. One of the Lopez boys. It's Brooke. Um, yeah. Brooke, okay. And so he had a big game as well. It's not that – it's nothing wrong getting big contributions from, from Brooke Lopez. But if you're young, you can't be the third leader scorer behind Lopez. I'm sorry. No. You got to be that no. dude. You got to be that dude. And right now, it's 19 seconds left. They're up six. Miami's up six. So unless Milwaukee wakes up and hits a couple of threes, it's 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 not looking good. It's they're only twenty percent for three for the for the night, seven to twenty five. Um you know, it's yeah, it's not looking good for <laughs> it's not looking good for the what would be the back to back MVP in the squad. It's wow. Wow, that's all I gotta say about that. It's just wow. Um so I, I, again, you're nice about you're nice about Milwaukee than I am about Giannis. <laughs> For Giannis, if Giannis needs to be, if Giannis is to be that dude, he has to ball. He has to really assert himself. I mean, he has dog in him, but I think he needs to be a little bit tougher. And I think the team needs to be a whole hell of a lot tougher. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because again, they should. I mean, look, Miami's good. My, I, I figured Miami would improve a whole hell of a lot with with with, with Jimmy Butler. I didn't think they would improve this much. Because remember, Miami won the playoff team last season. They were almost no. a playoff team. They were almost an eighth seed, but they won a mm-hmm. playoff team. But that, but now, I mean, Jimmy, if they if they play the season out without the COVID, they they would project to be a fifty win team. Yeah, the far cry of 39 wins that they were last season. That's that's almost a twenty game. That's oh, that's over a ten game improvement. So again. Miami knows what the hell they're doing. I, you know, you know, it's it's Celtics do too too as well as do the Raptors. I'm just I just don't think I don't think Milwaukee is that tough. Which is why, like again, I say whoever comes out of the Boston, the Ronald Boston series is going to win the East. Um, but still, the Celtics Raptors still entertain it. It can go either way. And you know, again, no home court. I think Nick Nurse and company will make their proper adjustments in in Toronto. No, mm-hmm. um, but again, Toronto could have won Game One as well. They again, they went on a big run in the third quarter to go up by eight. I wanted to see the Celtics just wore back, epic in epic fashion, to take Game Two. Uh, but that that remains to be seen. So, but real quick before we move yeah, on, the the thing about the yeah, Miami ahead, Heat though is is the fact that uh-huh. you know as much as we rage about Jimmy Butler, it, it's not about uh-huh. one guy on that squad. Because, you know, Jimmy hit 40 right. in game one. He only has 10 tonight. You know, they, they had Jodges put up over 20 tonight. Um, Hero put up 17 off the bench. So, they, they, and a Bam actually put up 15 tonight. So, they have a way to distribute who's going to be the guy every night. The thing is, right. after you get past Giannis, it might be Chris uh, Middleton. The thing is, you're going to have to get a little bit more consistent play from the rest of the team, and that was a problem because you had, what, four guys with uh, Milwaukee. Wait a minute, am I seeing this right? Is is Milwaukee only down two with eight and a half to go? Uh, wait a second. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm looking on the TV. Um, okay. Yeah, they're down two. Yeah, they're down two with eight and a half, eight point five seconds left. They're only down two. Well, Mm, to, to to quote Dave Chappelle, don't bust that nut just yet. As I was just about to go ahead and and talk bad about you know the role players for um, Milwaukee with Matthews, Williams, Culver, and and, and Covington and and um, Davinso, who shot a combined was that one two three five or fourteen five for twenty. So yeah, you can't have five guys before well, guys combined shooting. Uh, 20%. That's not going to help, especially when you're looking for other people other than Middleton and, and, and Giannis to go ahead and put up points um, during the playoff series. So, but with all of that talk, only down two with 8.5 to go, they still have a chance. And I'm going to be absolutely uh, what happened. And that's because Miami threw away the ball. Like they threw in the corner to Jimmy Butler inbounded. He got trapped. Mm-hmm. No one rotated for Miami. No one rotated to help out. They were literally standing flat foot. I guess they were going to try. They thought they were going to try and foul him. But wow. Never Jimmy Butler threw the, threw the ball, tried to get it to Dragic, and then Brooke Lopez got in and scoring over Dragic. That's why they're down two now. So, 
that was the last of judgment. That was the huge last of judgment on Dragic's part because he's a point guard. He should have ran to Butler just give him help and take the ball on the court. It would have been ball game. But instead, it's eight and a half seconds left. The Milwaukee's down two, and about Miami's about to inbound the ball at, at midcourt, and so it may be seen. So if you if you're Milwaukee, you have to foul them. I would assume. You, yeah. Of course, they're trying to deny the ball, but then foul if they do get the ball. So we'll see. Miami has to inch this up. Now I don't know why they spread them out between the the, the full the like back court and the full court. You can't you can't afford if you're Miami. You can't afford throw it in and have okay. They got the ball in. Now they foul them. Okay. All right. So Jimmy Butler got fouled. He's about to go to the line. So if he makes two of these. It's over. Well, I'm not going to ruin it for you then because I'm, I'm a little bit ahead of you. I'm not going to ruin it for you. You know what? Fuck it. I'll go ahead too because I'm on another channel. I can go ahead. Uh, <laughs> <there are> three. <laughs> there are three. Let's call the timeout. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I only now change the channel to then you get back, then you get there in real time. Um. Anyway. Yeah, Jimmy Butler may one or two. Um, the Milwaukee still has a chance. It's like that line in uh, what's your name? It's a, it's that, it's like that line in um, dumb and dumb and dumb. Dumb and dumber. Do you think still have a chance? chance? <laughs> still have a chance. I still have a chance. So excuse me, Milwaukee still technically has a chance. So we'll keep our eye on that game. I know we're both keeping our, eye on that, our eyes on that game. Well, we talk about the Western Conference fight, uh, the Game Seven of the Western Conference two first round series. Um, so, how about the ugly ass game last night? Totally <sighs> disappointing because it was an epic series between Denver and Utah before last night's game. Eighty to seventy eight. Eighty to seventy eight. That's your final score. Are you serious? Yeah. Eighty to seventy eight. Good. Googly goo. I mean, I'm not afraid to look at the stats. Because I looked at most of I watched most of the game, and I'm like, we're like, damn, everybody's missing. Both teams, Utah shot 38% from the floor. Denver shot 37% from the floor. They both went to the line on a handful of times. So Utah had 15 attempts. Uh, Denver had just 13. Um, both teams were horrendous from three-point land. None of them were above 26% for the game. And look at the scoring distribution in between quarters. 26 to 21, Denver, rather. 24 to 15, Denver has to set that big halftime lead. Then Utah came roaring back in the third, scoring Denver 24 to 15. And then I'll score them 18 to 15 to fall with the two points to 80 to 78. After all the games were in the hundreds, both teams were in the hundreds. Denver just wow, and Utah yeah. But that last sequence when uh, what's his name turned over the ball, Donovan Mitchell turned over the ball and gave up on the play. That was disappointing because I mean he should have just ran hard, hard towards the play. He should have ran, ran hard, and because who knows, it would have been um, it would have been uh, uh, you know it would have been maybe uh, what's his name taking that shot instead of uh, Donovan Mitchell taking that shot instead of. Uh, uh, Conley. Um, yeah, my Conley. Anyway, yes. But 
uh, just a quick interjection here. That wasn't a foul. They called a foul on Dragic, even though he stood still with his arms straight up. Oh, Chris Mills hitting the three-point shot. And spoiler alert, he had all three free throws. Tied the game. Yeah. I, I saw Two that. Points, I saw seconds. that as you were talking, and I didn't realize that, that Dragic was the one that was called for the foul. But to your point with the Utah um, and Denver finish last night, uh, I was only able to see the last minute, minute and a half of that game because I was in the middle of doing our, our podcast uh, last night but was still following up the score. And that was my question when I saw the uh, the, the score when I first um, realized, well, like third quarter, I was thinking to myself, are they playing great defense or are they shooting that bad? And it was the latter. Um, and, and the one thing that I want to check out actually is how many attempts did they take in terms of attempting to drive the ball to the basket? Because like you said, to your point, they didn't take a lot of combined free throw shots. And my guess is if you're taking more attempts of going to the hole, you'll probably end up drawing more fouls that way. But you got two young teams. It seems as though that both teams are settling for jump shots. And you had a situation where it came down to the last couple of seconds in the fourth quarter. And to your point, even though Donovan Mitchell turned the ball over in that sequence, Denver blew a 4-1. How did you do that? That's the one that's still more perplexing to me. And, and, and I understand why they went ahead and attempted to go ahead and try to get what conceivably would have been an easy basket for them in that situation yeah. to go ahead and extend up the, the lead yeah. up to three. But right. that was insane. So, yeah. That's, uh, the same. If I was, that's why a lot of people were saying, I'm included, if I was Jamal Murray, I understood he wanted to put a dagger in uh, Utah. But, man, you never know in the game seven. I would have dribbled that bad boy out and made him foul. Me. Yeah. I would have dribbled it out. I would have dribbled it out and made him foul. Because, you know, Jamal Murray, he, he, was, he only went to the line twice. He only had two attempts. Made both of his wow. attempts. Wow. But, I mean, just to let you know, three, two, one, going overtime. One overtime. Miami and Milwaukee had it to overtime. Which I thought wow, was. they were able to, to come Wait, back. Did they call and, a foul? They called a foul according to to what I'm looking at right now. Giannis Are is about serious? to shoot free throws. Yes. Yes. What? That, that's the, the, what this app is saying right now, that Giannis is shooting foul shots. Yeah. Oh, Wait y'all just called a foul on Giannis. They called a foul on Giannis. They called a foul okay. on Giannis. He, he, because he, he, he got him fouling uh, Jimmy Butler as he's throwing up a desperate prayer from the, from the corner. Wow. <sighs> wow. Wow. Why do you call it? Uh, look, did he impede in the space? Yeah, I guess he impede the space. But when do you call a foul like that? Well, I mean, they're going to review it. I'm guessing they're going to wave off the foul. I'm guessing they're going to wave off the foul. And send over time. That's why I'm guessing it's going to happen. But Boy, I mean, it, my God, let this, the foul they called on uh, uh, Dragic before that wasn't a damn foul. Was he close to Middleton? Yes, but he stood straight up with his arms in the air. That wasn't a damn foul. <laughs> so if anything, <sighs> I don't know. There's going to be a male couple on on the breast part to give Jimmy Butler that that foul. 
some foul shots? I don't know. I'm guessing they might wave it off. But we'll see what happens. But anyway, as they're doing that, um, you know, Murray, Jamal Murray didn't play that great either. He was only 721 from the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and uh, uh, you know, he scored 17. I mean, his average is around 20. I think, I don't know, 18 or 19 in the regular season. This is that he went bonkers in his playoffs until game seven. And Donovan Mitchell, he, he played, he had a horrible game. How do you have nine oh. turnovers in one assist? Youth. I have nine that's the only thing that I can blame. That, that's the only thing that, that sums up that game to me is youth. And as, as, as horrible as a game seven as, as Donovan had, he still was capable of putting up 13 in the third quarter. It was the fourth quarter that was more crushing to me um, when he put up only, what, one for four in the, in the fourth quarter? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the last time he put up a basket, actually, well, he had only scored two points in the last 15 minutes of the game. And that right there is amazing to me. Um, a guy mm-hmm. of, of his caliber with that type of output in a game seven situation, you just can't have that type of thing. And then the, the shots that he missed in the fourth quarter were all over 20 foot. And that goes back to my mm-hmm. point of not trying to go for the easy basket. And that was one of the things that I saw the NBA on TNT guys praise Donovan for doing earlier in the series was for his patience and his ability to go ahead and drive the ball towards the bucket and then attempt to either make a decision from there to see if he has the shot or find an open guy on the perimeter. And it seemed as though that he didn't attempt to do that in the fourth quarter, which once again goes back to my whole point of youth. So hopefully this is a situation that he learns from and that he doesn't go ahead and, and carry this over until next year. But that series was a fantastic series. I can't wait to see what Denver does in the next round. But whoever they play, yeah. the, the experience, they, they play the, Clippers. the experience they level is going to be uh, – they play the Clippers? Yeah, so yeah, the Clippers are going to go ahead and, and have – they already have way too much experience for them. I, I, I see that series probably going five, six max. But it's going yeah. to be interesting to see how um, Jamal Murray looks up against the uh, the Clippers and to see if anyone else outside of Murray and Nochix will be able to play for Denver in that series. Right, right. You saw the ending to Miami and, and Milwaukee, right? They called I did it, not. It was a foul. They called it was a foul. So Jimmy Butler hit both free throws with zero t- six on the clock, one by two. Are you kidding me? I should you not. the game ends, my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. about that tomorrow on Unmuted, on Get Up, on First Take. On NBA TV, <laughs> on Colin Cowherd, on Speak for Yourself, all the sports talk shows will be talking about that shit tomorrow. Yo, the whistle, the whistle that supposed to swallow that whistle, dude. What's oh. the foul that they called on Dragic before? Was that a foul as well? Both were not fouls. I will say that Giannis was more of a foul than, than Dragic, but you don't call both fouls in both situations. You don't call fouls in not a situation. And not to end the game. Not to end regulation. You don't, uh, do don't do that. 
I see dudes get hammered whistle. or jump shots and then the games and they let them go. I yeah. I wouldn't have called a foul in that situation, personally. No. If you wouldn't see the druggy foul they called on uh, Chris Middleton earlier on the three point shot, you would be like, That's not a damn foul either. So mm-hmm. Wow. This it's gonna be talked this is gonna be talked about all day tomorrow, brother. I'll be sitting there with my popcorn. <laughs> I've been between sports shows all day. <laughs> since I work from home, I, that's, that's, that's my work from my work on my on my laptop and have any sports show in the background. Oh yeah, yeah. and also first things first. You know, Nick Wright and them going to really get into on first things first in the morning. Nick Wright is going to have a field day with this tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Nick Wright's going to just be lit. He's going to be lit tomorrow. Um, yeah. So anyway, so Miami's up to nothing. So I guess that leaves us now with the last state playoff series that's playing right now, OKC and uh, Houston. Uh, Houston's up mm-hmm. by four. But let me ask you this, bro. Well, now I'm not going to ask you this. I'm going to come out and say it. If Houston loses tonight, that's going to have a lot of ramifications because a lot of questions be asked of Harden still. Could uh-huh. he get it done when it counts? Because he was, it, it was a lot of he's, – he's earned a reputation, excuse me, coming up short. The amounts most in the playoffs. Remember game seven against uh, Golden State when he went yeah. cold? He and the rest of the, the team went cold from three, but he went very cold. Uh-huh. Uh, he had a bad game seven, I think, a, a, game, a closer game against – elimination game against the Spurs. I think the year or two before that. Uh, mm-hmm. Like like before that, and so if he goes, if he he loses, if, if the Rockets lose, will do for his legacy. What things will be said about Russell Westbrook? You know they traded for you, and you're losing to the team that not only traded you, but lose the guy who they traded you for. Mm-hmm. And of course, Mike Tony. Like he's he's already doesn't have an extension, so. Would that be mean the end of him in Houston, or would it mean the end for Daryl Moore as your manager and his analytics style in Denver? I mean, I'm sorry, in Houston. So a lot of questions on the line tonight for the Rockets because let's be real, OKC's playing with house money. No one expected yeah. them to be to, to be this competitive this year, and no one, let alone take a team like Houston to a Game Seven in a playoff. So anyway. Um, Give me your thoughts on that, and you know. So basically, like I, I think more the pressure, the live show, the pressure on Houston, and it's going to do a lot of damage to people's legacies if Houston ends up losing tonight. Oh yeah, and, and if you look on certain people's faces, the game six, you can tell that pipes were being beginning to burst. If you looked at yeah. uh, Russell Westbrook's face, if you looked at James Harden's face after the after the game uh, at the end of game six. Oh yeah, pipes were starting to burst. Um, now, to, to Westbrook's defense, he didn't play in the first five games, but it was still a situation right. where mm, Houston should have had more of a control of that series than what they did, and they sure did, in my right. personal opinion, allow OKC to get back into that series. But you're right; you're tagging all of the right people who whose legacy, to some degree. But we'll have a little tarnish on it, right? Now, this is Russell's first season in, in Houston. He wasn't completely healthy. But the, like you said, the irony of it is 
If they lose tonight, he loses to the team that got rid of him and the guy who they traded him for, right? So that's right. a, a, a strike on him. Like you said, with Harden and his reputation, that's a strike on him too. Then it goes back to, like you said, with uh, Dan Tony. We already saw what he's done in other places. He's doing the same thing here, and, bruh, it ain't working. That's a strike on him. And then, of course, the GM, because the GM is the one that was out there going out there getting guys. And who was the, 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 the power forward that they had that they got rid of midway through the season before the trade deadline? I know you can't talking remember about, who. I can't think of um, Capella. Capella. Yes. So you get rid of Camp Capella, who was a defensive stalwart from that squad. You get rid of him, and you decided that you want to play um, a small ball. Now, once again, it's it's they played a different style of defense. Capella was a, a rim protector. You had guys and James Harden and, and Robert Covington out of Tennessee State, shout out HBCU, who played the lanes and hustle, played hustle defense, right? You had two guys and those two guys that were in the top five in, in steals this season. So they played a different style of defense, but this small ball of having a, a lineup of guys that are under, once again, 6'9", I don't know what it is about that number, but you have a lineup of guys that are under that height and you try to stretch the floor and run the ball up and down the court. There are things that uh, you get exposed. And even with that said, even with um, what's your boy's name? The 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 the, the, the tall guy out of uh, OKC that that has the um, the ponytail. But even with him on their yes, uh, Stephen somebody, Stephen Adams, Stephen Adams, Stephen Adams. Even with Stephen Adams uh, that that gets significant minutes, they still run a small ball version of of, of their own too. The thing is. It's not necessarily all predicated with with threes with OKC. They'll take their fair amount. Don't get me wrong, because this is a young squad, but at the same time, they do know to pick their spots and to go ahead and drive it to the basket. But the one thing that was that has been said on numerous occasions, Chris Paul, he might not be the best player on that team, but he is most definitely right. the best leader on, 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 on between the he, two teams. He's a- He's a question leader, yeah. He's a question leader of uh, OKC. Unquestionably. Exactly. And and it's, it's showing in this series, whenever they can keep it close in the fourth quarter, I expect them to win. And going into tonight's game, you know, I pointed out a stat on on, on, on social media, on my Twitter handle, the Yard H, at the Yard HBCU, because, of course, Chris Paul has been on his HBCU sneaker tour since he's been in the bubble. Right. And it was just a, a real interesting fact um, or interesting stat. If he wore a sneaker for a school that was in the MEAC and he played, they were undefeated. The only time that they lost huh. when he wore a sneaker from a school in the MEAC is when he wore the shoe for Central. How ironic. But he didn't play that game against the Lakers. <laughs> so he's undefeated right. while – He's playing and wearing a MEAC school. Same thing with, uh, what was it? Well, there was a, a, a streak there where he was winless while wearing CIAA and sweat shoes up until the last two games where 
he wore Alabama State and Shaw, respectively, and they got wins in both situations. So, of course, throughout the entire time in the bubble, I've been posting about this, this, uh, this fact, and what does Chris Paul do tonight to kind of throw me off? I don't know. I'm not saying he's throwing me off personally, but it's kind of like a jab at me. Because what does he do today? He wears Spellhouse, meaning the combination of Spellman and Morehouse. Spellman doesn't have oh, wow. athletics anymore, and Morehouse, of course, is a member of the SEAC, but he does have a pretty good record while wearing SEAC shoes. They've only lost one game in SEAC shoes. So if, if, if he falls into form, OKC wins this game tonight. But once again, Houston cannot allow this game to be close. They cannot fall into right. the ruts that they normally fall into, which is relying on the threes, especially if it's not working for them. And they're going to, if they get a big lead on OKC, they can't let the foot off the gas. They're going to have to choke them. Sorry for that right. reference, especially in these times. But sure, you cannot sure. allow OKC back into this situation. They cannot. They got to go ahead and stop them out and, 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 and blow them out. They can't let this game get close because if they do, then Chris Paul is going to be Chris Paul. He doesn't even have to put up points. All he has to do is to get into situations that gets everyone else open because they already have the confidence that they can go ahead and win game seven. Don't prove them right. Speaking of which, OKC is up on, on Houston 30-29 to 29 in the first quarter. So, with that being said, I still have Houston winning. Houston has to mm-hmm. has to be the better team on paper. They have to win tonight. I think Houston figures out a way in the second half, and that makes this shit close and give both KC any, any shot of any hope of, of them that, that, that they can steal another game in the series. So, I they got can. Houston winning tonight. They, they have to win tonight. They, they just have to win. They have to win, but I, I, these things plucky – Oklahoma City Thunder, I'm, I'm leaning on them to go ahead and, and, and take one more and, and get look forward to um, getting stomped out in the next round by the L.A. Lakers. But, you know, what a ride that we've had so far, right? Um, coming into the right. season, no one thought that they would even make it to the playoffs, let alone a first-round series win. And it, it'll all be to the detriment of the Houston Rockets. And like you said, a lot of, mm-hmm. um, a lot of legacies are on the line. And there's going to be a lot of tarnish leaving Oklahoma, leaving Orlando if they do tonight. All right, brother. Let's close out the show with this on a low note. 2020 has been a bitch, to say the least, this season, this year, right? Um, yeah. It all started in January, the last, the second to last Sunday in January. Kobe Bryant's helicopter crashed into that mountain and killed 11 more people on that plane. I mean, on the, on, on the, on, on the helicopter. Um, and I remember what was, exactly what I was doing that day. I was at, we were coming, we were leaving from Costco. My wife told me to stop the car because she said I shouldn't be driving when I hear this news. And I mm. stopped, and she showed me the Van Fair website, like, like Blink, from her phone said Kobe Bryant perished, said that perished in the helicopter crash. And I remember how stunned I, just so stunned. 
I quickly turned on ESPN radio. People were crying. Reporters were crying when they reported the news, when they were getting their 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 their, their, their reactions. Like like Ramona Shelburne was in tears, trying to give her thoughts on it, trying to react right away to it. A few others were crying during the week. That was during Super Bowl week. So that was the week before the Super Bowl. That was the last Sunday. That was the last week of of January. And so it was that the whole tenor, the whole mood of the sports world during Super Bowl week was like so somber. I mean, yes. I was numb for weeks. And I've never been a dude in my life. Was not a Laker fan. Not if you were say one of the Kobe fans, more of a Shaq guy. But still, yeah, I was just numb and shaken by that. And followed that up with, of course, this COVID pandemic that's been happening since. Uh, it actually started overseas. Obviously, I'm not going to call it. I'm not going to label a country to make it racist, like a certain president's doing right now. But when it came, <laughs> with like like. Like when it came stateside, it was like February, Marches, right in that area. Ever since then, this country's been, this country has been triggered by that, and we've been different ever since. Having to wear a face mask, now I'm probably not going to shake another hand again in my life, even with a vaccine. <laughs> um, seriously, I mean, we, we, I do. If it's not a fist bump, I do an elbow bump. That's it. That's it. Um, what else? Um, and then, and then of course George Floyd murder in Minneapolis at the hands of police. Followed that up with Breonna Taylor before that, uh-huh. actually before George Floyd, but still the, the police who murdered Breonna Taylor, wrong household, everything else, have still not been charged, not even been charged. Thank you very much, Black District Attorney of Kentucky. Um, and follow that up with, I'm, put, I'm sure I'm missing some more items here, but feel free to fill, fill in the blanks. But if that wasn't bad enough, we lost John Thompson, mm-hmm. coach, one of my favorite people in all college basketball. And worse, Chadwick Bozeman, Played the great Black Panther in the Marvel movies and many other great movies like Forty Two. Uh, was it Sixteen Bridges, Nineteen Bridges, or something like that? Twenty One, Twenty One Bridges, Marshall, Twenty One Bridges, Marshall, and the and the Five Bloods, which I still would love to see. I hadn't seen on, on Netflix yet. He mm-hmm. passed away from colon cancer at the age of forty two. That's not even, no, four, I'm sorry, 44, age of 43, 40, 43 Absolutely, years old. Yes. Before uh-huh. COVID came. So I'd like to start by talking about a guy that we both loved growing up in college basketball. That's John Thompson. Um, people don't know this. In 1972, Georgetown was pretty much an afterthought in, in college basketball. I, it's hard to think of Georgetown as, a, as, a, as an afterthought. A college basketball athlete, even though they're on the men right now, with Patrick Ewan leading the way. Mm-hmm. But still, Georgetown, the time with Georgetown was worse than Rutgers in basketball, if you can believe Oh, it. yes. Um, and they were coming off a 3-23 and season. They, aside from the national championship game in 1943 appearance, 
they did not make any postseason. So basically, they took a chance on the guy named John Thompson, um, you know, who came out of Archbishop Carroll, which I'm pretty sure you're familiar with. Um, Very familiar. And and he ended up. You know, people don't realize he went up. John Thompson ended up going to Providence because Georgetown. I don't think Maryland recruited him. I don't know if Georgetown mm-hmm. didn't recruit him. No. Um, and, and and actually, nineteen sixty, yeah. I mean, Maryland. That's that's the South, and so they still weren't letting black players play. I think Charlie Scott was the first black player to play in the ACC in sixty five or sixty six, one of those years. Um, yeah. But nevertheless, um, that's for like the seventy two. Georgetown begged and pleaded for for Thompson to come back home, so to speak, to go to Georgetown, as he led Providence College in nineteen sixty three NIT title. Um, and, and and also as a player, played two seasons behind Bill Russell and built the D.C. high school power that is the, uh, 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 St. Anthony. I'm sure yes, you're familiar with St. Anthony. Uh-huh. So, Georgetown took a look at what Thomas was doing at St. Anthony, begged and pleaded him, literally begged and pleaded him, fled with him to coach Georgetown. At first, Thompson balked because, of course, Georgetown didn't recruit him. And um, so I guess he was still bitter over that. But nevertheless, um, you know, they fight, you know, Georgetown, after they fired his athletic director to clean house, like, if Georgetown knew that if they had to be good at basketball again, they needed to reach out to Chocolate City. You know, even though they're in that nice part of D.C., they knew that if they had to win, you gotta get some of that blood, uh-huh. and which is why they put the guy on their knees and play with Thompson to coach them because Thompson <laughs> has that connection at the time with St. Anthony, which rivals uh-huh. the great the basketball program, which I know you're familiar with. Uh-huh. So, 1972, black head coach, major college basketball, and as they say. The rest was history. Built Georgetown to a power by the end of nineteen eighties. Won one national title. Arguably should have won at least two. Because Villanova all of a sudden caught lightning in the bottle. Installed and shot their way in. And I remember watching the yeah. game on television. I could not believe uh, they were the eighth I think Villanova was the eighth seed that year. They beat yeah. Georgetown. Because uh-huh. that final four was three, uh, um, three uh, Big East teams. St. John's was in it. Georgetown was in it. Villanova was in it. I don't know who the hell mm-hmm. the fourth team was. <laughs> but, but obviously it didn't matter because Villanova beat them to get to the winner of St. John's and uh, Georgetown. So at any rate, the point is, is that, as we all know, he was very outspoken. Particularly when it came to Proposition 40, 40, I think 48 and 45. 42. I guess I'm right. Um, 48 and 45, uh, where it it was hampering the black athlete who came from schools with little resources. And he let it known. And he was born afraid to speak out. This is a time where there were only a handful of black coaches. There still are, but I mean, a minuscule. A black hair coach. Pretty much, as far as major college basketball, 
it's very much just Thompson and Nolan Richardson in Arkansas at the time. Those two cats. So that's a, that, that was what it would look like in the 80s. And still, Thompson was not afraid to speak his mind. He was not afraid to bully his way to a point. He wasn't afraid to mix it up with the likes of Jim Beheim, who he later became good friends with, believe it or not. Louis Conaseca, Roy Massimino, P.J. Carlissimo. All those Italian names are cool, man. Carlissimo, Conaseca. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that, that is old school Big East right there. Yes. All those names. But anyway, to, 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 to dominate, a, not dominate, but to, to excel in a conference that strong, all that Northeast basketball, that city basketball, that's court, that hard, hardwood, hard court basketball. That's that that was just something to to behold in the eighties. It was basically them, the Big East, the ACC, and the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. That was it, as far as basketball powers, college basketball powers. Those three conferences. That was that was pretty much it. Everyone else was playing for like scrap. Um, um, but but it's just. It was just amazing to see what what Jim John Thompson did. And one more thing before I turn back over to you, since you're a DC native, I know this is near and dear to your heart. Up until maybe when I was in high school, I thought that Georgetown was an HBCU. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought they were an HBCU because I never seen a black coach, and I never seen the all black squad. Ding Georgetown. ding ding! Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never seen that in my life. I never from from a kid watching college basketball with my dad. God rest my dad's soul. Um, and and seeing that on TV when I was grew up grew up watching the ACC, watching the Marylands, right, watching the Carolinas, watching the Dukes, the Georgia Tech of the world. The Clemson had a nice squad in the eighties as well. Um, NC State, Wake Forest. We didn't see that. <laughs> We did not see a black coach, and we didn't see all black squads. That's the uh-huh. thing we did not see in the ACC. We did not see that in most of the country. We only saw it at Georgetown. And, you know, when my dad, someone told me that Georgetown was like, not only was it not an HBCU, it was like Ivy League level. Not to say that any HBCU can't be Ivy League level, but the point is, is that they're a, a Jesuit school yes. in the middle of D.C. Uh-huh. I did not know that. I knew they were in D.C., yeah. I didn't know they were on HBCU. So, yeah. So that was, that would trip me out. That would trip a lot of my boys out, too, because we swore up and down that Georgetown was an HBCU. Uh, so <laughs> let me turn it over to you, because I know you have a lot of thoughts on John Thompson, Georgetown, the connections he had to the D.C. area basketball, high school basketball, and just this legend that, that is John Thompson. Uh, yeah. Um, like you said earlier, he, he is an alum of uh, Archbishop Carroll um, at the time and up until around the time period of which I attended high school myself, Archbishop Carroll was an all-boys school, um, all-boys mm. Catholic school, of course. Um, it's legit within the earshot of where I live and where I've grown up. Um, it's about maybe five minutes away from where I live. The master is about 15 wow. um, on the other side over in PG County. But, yeah, the master is not that – not the master, but uh, Carol is not that far away from me. As a matter of fact, I have to go past Carol 
in order to make it to Howard's campus, which is about 10 minutes away from where I live at. So that lets you know the, the closest of proximity to the schools uh, to, to where I've grown up. Um, so, right. of course, like you said, went on to Providence, blah, 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 ends up at, at, at um, G-Town, right? So, of course, we know, the, we know yep. JT's resume. We know Big John's resume. Four-time um, National College Coach of the Year, uh, three-time Big East College Coach of the Year, uh, three uh, appearances in the Final Four, uh, seven regular season titles, six Big East Conference Tournament Championships, and, of course, the National Championship. And then the other two iconic games against North Carolina where they lost, where when your boy throws the ball straight to Mike, and, of course, Mike becomes a legend right. off that game. And then, of course, yeah. Uh, Villanova shooting out the lights in, 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 in that game. Both Actually, them and Georgetown shot over 60%, but Villanova shot 85% in the second half. Insane. Nobody's losing when you shoot 85%. And that fourth team that you talked about that was in the Final Four with them was Memphis. But with all that said, okay. you know, we know about the All-Americans that he coached, uh, Pat Ewan, Zoe Morning, uh AI, yeah. Sleepy Floyd, you know, uh, uh, Reggie Williams, David, Wingate. David yep. Wingate. So he's had some ballers on those squads, right? Like you said, he was also um, a, 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 a bringer of change. Um, like you said, with, with, with Prop 45, uh, he went ahead and he protested. Um, he walked off the court before that game even started. And, and that was one thing that. that Big John was known for outside of being a coach was being a huge advocate for civil rights, not just for African-Americans, mainly African-Americans, primarily African-Americans, especially African-American men, but for everyone, right? Um, right. So we, we, we've heard him speak up um, multiple times about situations that, that he did not like. And, of course, with his stature, um, there were those where where he had a lot of confrontation uh, with people. But the thing was this, those people who he had confrontations with, be it um, with sports or because of his, his, um, his manner of speaking to the media, they grew to respect him, and they ended up becoming friends. So it, it, they all realized that he was coming from a place of honesty and respect. But at the same time, you're not going to talk down to him, especially because of the, the color of his skin. Um, and, right. and, and coming from D.C. during that time frame, Chocolate City, when D.C. was at its height in terms of the the population of African Americans, uh, prominent African Americans in this city, and along with the crime that was going on in that time frame, you know, it's a huge dichotomy going on. Um, the thing was, of course, to make sure that our young men in this city, be it if they grew up here or if they came here to get an education, that they were going to make sure that they want to better themselves. And he was in the forefront of that, especially as it pertains to Georgetown. Like you said, a lot of people believe that Georgetown wasn't HBCU. And for that exact reason, like you said, it was rare, if ever, you saw a college basketball team with a black head coach in an all-black squad. I can right. count on one hand how many white guys that they actually had on that team when he was there, and even now, right? So it's, it's kind of interesting, especially with Georgetown being the Jesuit school that it is, right? And I find it funny right. 
that several HBCU people kind of turn their nose up when they hear about Georgetown being looked at as an HBCU. <laughs> My thing is this. So they yeah. have a badge of honor, especially being a Washingtonian with Howard being here, UDC being here, and you, you would probably associate that because of the fact that they're all black. But if you look right. at the strength, the confidence, the organization, and, and, and the way that not only the coach but the players carried themselves on and off the court, I want it as a badge right. of honor that that could be associated with an HBCU because there are a lot of times those type of adjectives aren't associated with us. So to hear right. that, you know, as a young man growing up, and it, 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 it was it was empowering, and because of that, Georgetown was kind of like one of those first institutions collegiately that 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 kind of set that mark within black culture, um, right. as it pertains to black strength and black excellence in the collegiate sports realm. It was followed up by UNLV and, and Arkansas. And 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 um, what's your boy's name? I'm looking at his face right now, but can't remember um, the head coach over at Arkansas. Um, you're talking about Noah Richardson, right? Who Noah was Richardson. that? Noah yeah. Richardson. Noah Richardson. Noah Richardson. Yes. Okay. So you, you know, it, 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 to me, it all started with uh, John Thompson, and John Thompson to tell you that you know he he was inspired by a lot of uh, black coaches that didn't get the opportunity to coach on the D1 level before him, one being right. North Carolina A&T's own Cal Irvin. You know, for those who aren't familiar, yeah. you go look him up. He was a great – Talk about in, in this. What's that? Let's talk about it. Talk about it. Yes. You know, he was a great um, on, on the CIAA level and moving over when they moved over to the MEAC in the, in the, um, in the 70s. So – um, that was one of the guys that, that John Thompson looked to as a mentor. So, with all of that said, with him being a civil rights um, leader here in the city, um, one of my favorite stories has to be about his confrontation with one, Rayful Edmond. For those who are familiar, Rayful Edmond was a huge drug dealer, not only in the district but on the East Coast. Um, there's several drug laws that have been created because of this man. Um you know, he's D.C. native. D.C. is big on basketball, and Georgetown basketball was big here, bigger than the Bullets. You know, it was a thing to go out to the Cap Center and watch uh, G-Town play, and I loved going up to go see those matchups, especially against the likes of St. John's and Syracuse. But Ray Fletman would come out to these games. He would be seen hanging out with these players, and John ain't want no parts of it. So what did John do? He made it so that he can have a sit-down conversation with Rayful and be like, hey, no disrespect, but I can't have you around my boy. I just can't do it. And it was rare for anybody to have that type of clout, to have that type of sit-down meeting with Rayful, and for Rayful to, uh, to oblige him and, and be respectful of JT because of who he was and, and how well respected he was in the city. So, all of that, we know all of that, but what a lot of people don't know is after he retired and was gone from the game for a while, he went into sports media and was a host of a well 
listen to radio show here in the district that came on in the afternoons here, and he did that for years on. And there are a lot of people that know him for the radio show that don't know him for his basketball career. So his influence spans all types of spectrums, all arenas, and he was well-loved here, well-loved everywhere. But if you were to ask me, and we, I've been having this conversation with a bunch of friends this week, if you were to ask me about the Mount Rushmore of D.C. sports, John Thompson is most definitely on there, hands down, easily, yeah. and, 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 and deservingly so. I'm just upset that I never had an opportunity to meet him. One chance I actually had um, a couple of months ago before the college basketball season ended. I didn't realize he was going to be at a Howard basketball game. But Howard wasn't doing too well. There was playing against another school that wasn't doing too well. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and sit this one out at the crib, only to find out that JT was there. And I was like, wow, I missed out. I'm going to go ahead and take this opportunity to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and hopefully see him later. Unfortunately, that won't happen. But, yeah, huge influence, JT. A lot of people, a lot of arenas, and he's going to be one that's going to be missed. That type of strength, hopefully, I mean, we see it with other people, but he was one of the people who was that, that originated it during my lifetime, and he will be sorely missed. That's an interesting story you talk about the drug dealer. That's yeah. a very interesting story from the drug dealer. I have no idea. I Man. God, God, it's that that's that's something else. That so John Thompson confronting a drug a major drug dealer and kind of put him in his place essentially. In the ninth yeah, way. Major major drug dealer and put him in his place. And this is the irony of that story. So he pulls way to the side in eighty nine, right? This is Zobor's right. first year at G Town. And he was hanging around uh the neighborhood of Georgetown with Zoe, you know, around campus. He has this conversation with him in 89. A couple of months later mm-hmm. is when Rachel gets gets arrested. And that's the fear that it's a possibility that Zoe could have been hanging out with him at the time he was to get arrested and has his life altered. So thankfully mm-hmm. that Big John was capable of pulling him to the side and having that conversation and saving a life. Exactly, like you said, Allen yeah. Iverson's life, you know, that's, which is yeah, awesome. The, the whole Allen Iverson situation where he was the only one out of all the coaches who rescinded their, their scholarships to AI that went down to Hampton, that talked to him and, 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 and said that, hey, I'm going to stick with this kid. Sometimes kids just place in the wrong place at the wrong time and the situation is wrong for them. And, of course, AI ends up looking, at, look, looking towards Big John as a father figure when he came here to DC. It was it was it was highly, highly influential. Um to those that played for him, against him, and those <coughs> that didn't even go to Georgetown. Mm. Yeah, that was a special I mean to hear like one of my things to hear a rival like former rival here is like Jay, like Jim Beheim talk about him so fondly. Yes. When at one time they hated each other. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, I remember that. That was a huge rivalry, Syracuse and Georgetown. Um, to hear him speak so fondly of them, we were up today, obviously became cool after John Thompson retired. Um, that, was, that was pretty cool as well. Um, and one last step. We talked about John Thompson. 
Mm-hmm. Sarah Bookman. The fact that yes. now it was, what was remarkable about him was, and of course people remember him both the first time when he like when he came on the scene with Forty Two. Even though he's been around for he was been around for a while, he had some bit roles, bit parts in different shows. He was the ultimate late bloomer, basically. He, he yeah. was a late bloomer. Um, but when he, the fact that he did his best work after he was diagnosed, but then was stage three cancer in 2016, was nothing short of remarkable. I mean, keep in mind that he was in one, two, three, four Marvel movies, right? Uh, uh-huh. uh, 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 Captain America: Civil War, uh-huh. uh, of course, the Black Panther standalone movie, and uh-huh. both Avengers: in, in, Avengers: Infinity War and Endgame, physically yes. demanding role, as well as Marshall, Marshall Marshall, Marshall movie, uh-huh. and I think Get On Up was, was, was before he got diagnosed. I think. Um, I think it was. Yeah. But nevertheless, that and the five bloods, that was his best work while he was diagnosed, after he was diagnosed, not only after he was diagnosed with, 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 with stage three, back then with stage three colon cancer, but he was undergoing grueling therapy and treatment. Yes. Never told a soul. Never told, and, and, and you know what? It probably threw his inner circle for not letting that get out. Uh-huh. That took a lot of... Uh, 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 loyalty, a lot of loyalty for like for them to pull that off because I don't know how many people that kept that secret, but, but they did amazing. a great job of doing so. Yeah, but that was amazing. But even what's more, what's touching was, I mean, the fact that you know those tributes, man, they got me. Hmm. Those tributes got me, man. I mean, you know, seeing what the uh, system said and everything else, it got me. Oh yeah, most definitely. And 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 that was the thing that that started to run through my mind um, immediately after his passing was this association to the sports world in terms of his work. Um, it, it, the irony of him passing away on Jackie Robinson Day of all days. Um, yeah, in Major League Baseball was was something that was it, it, it hit me a little different. I said, "Oh wow, not 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 Jackie Robinson Day." The irony of it, of course, because he was just in forty two portraying Jackie um, about five years ago. But that's right. not the only movie that he did uh, that involved sports. Um, I completely did not realize that he played the great Floyd Little in the movie The Express. And also completely forgot, wow. completely forgot I never thought that he played Bonte Mack in draft day. Yeah, I heard he was in draft day, yeah. I heard it was in draft day. Yeah. So he, he basically that, yeah. played the, the the lead player that Kevin Costner was, 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 was eyeing to get, but needed of course to trade up in order to uh to, to make that, that draft selection happen. Um, so yeah, like you said, the, the, the physical, um, roles that he played, um, in the Marvel films, uh, I think it was Spike Lee that said that, um, when in a recent interview that the, the, the jungles where they were filming with the five, for the five bloods 
was very hot. It was very grueling to be out there, man. They're out there in the bush, all kind of crazy stuff going on out there. But you did not know that he was dealing with stage three colon cancer. There was no way you could tell that he was such a trooper out there doing so. Um, was was just a sign of strength. And like you said, man, it's just disappointing to have to see him go. Um, HBCU alum, I know how crazy the city went when he was the um, commencement speaker, the commencement day speaker yeah. for the graduation a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, man, it was it was crazy. Um, and, and as much as I attempt to separate myself from, from Howard University, I just can't seem to do so, um, not just because of their closeness to proximity, but, you know, I still have to show HBCU love. Um, sure. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just interesting um, to, to to see the mark that he left on a, also that, 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 that chat left, that chat was left on a lot of people, especially a lot of kids with his role of the Black Panther. And as much as I was right. not necessarily anti the role of the Black Panther, but anti the whole concept of this is the first black superhero movie ever. No, no, no. Of course we had Steel. Of course we had uh, Blade. Of course we had Blade. Meteor Man. For those, that, you know, if you want to go ahead and, and, and pop a squad on Meteor Man, it's still a superhero movie. It is what it is. Same thing with Blank Man. But I understood the importance of that film and that character and the way that that character was portrayed and the fact that the character was like that in his inception during the 70s, being the smartest, coming from the richest uh, uh, country in the world and and didn't, wasn't arrogant about it like his other rich, um, very smart uh, cohort in Tony Stark's um, yeah. was was, 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 was a, a role model. Total contrast. Yes, huge contrast. And for for those that didn't know anything about the comic, you know they got an opportunity to finally see the character portrayed out in film, and kids of all colors fell in love with him. Kids of all colors fell in love with him, and that was huge um, to see. And and you know I'm just glad that these kids are capable of taking something away from that man and and, and holding on to that man and with, and, and the, the 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 show of respect from the children um, was 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 monumental. You know what got me? There were there were so many pictures on the web and social media where show kids around the world lying their uh, uh, black panther toy down around the circle of both other Marvel heroes. Yeah, and the Wakanda salute, and some of those kids were literally in tears. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 just it's just something. It's a, it's a it was the perfect storm, you know, a black superhero Marvel coming to the screen, and the effect it had around kids around not just kids but around the world of all kind of world. Yeah, inspiring to us black people, but the way it caught on with the other kids around the world. And other people of color too, of, of, of mm-hmm. different colors of background. White people, Latinos, Asians, you name it. Um, it's just, it's just, it's sad. I thought I was going to shed a tear or two the other night when doing the tribute after the Black Panther movie on ABC, where Robin Roberts did that tribute. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Let me just ask you this: this ain't a, this ain't a comic book show, obviously, but 
<laughs> do you think they? I think they can recast. They, I think they, they can recast Black Panther. It won't be the same, obviously, because they will know the mess chat with Bozeman. But there's mm-hmm. plenty other black athletes out there that could pull it off. I think Idris Elba could pull it off. To be honest, mm. he's already he's British, but he's of Nigerian descent, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I've seen him play in African roles in, in different movies, or whether it's on Netflix or wherever. He could mm-hmm. he could probably pull he could he could easily pull that off. Again, it won't be it wouldn't be the same, but it's another big name, but a name that people know and respect. And again, with his ethnic background, with his ethnic background, I think he, he could easily pull that off. Now, mind you, I think they'll go to wear the comic book, and eventually lean towards giving press on the Black Panther mantle to Shuri. But that's that's not here nor there. But the point is, I think there are other black actors out there who can pull it off as well, outside of yourself. But that's the first name that that, that came to mind. So, are you of the believe that they would eventually recast? That character, or just do a full stop and just go with Shuri. I can't believe I'm asking you like a kind of question on the sports show, but <laughs> here we are. Um, it, it, it's funny that you do ask that. Um, you know, I'm not a huge comic book reader, but you know, I, I do follow it um, occasionally, and I have been watching the responses that um, of the direction that people believe that the movie should head into, and right. what might happen. And one of the things that I did see, of course, like you said, um, the, the the comic does take it into the direction where his younger sister ends up becoming the Black Panther. And that's the thing that right. I'm hearing a lot of people are, are um, uh, I'm starting to hear people say that that's the direction that Marvel and Disney are looking to go into, um, along with having it um, reflect with T'Challa actually Dying in the in the in the series, I don't know how they're going to pull that off, but um, it's going to be interesting to see if they do how they do it. Um, but one of the other hopes that I saw people um, put out there was to somehow, some way, have Michael B. Jordan end up back in that role of Killmonger and him mm. becoming the Black Panther. Um, once again, this is all just conversation. This is all fodder and, and hopes and dreams of, of those who are fans of, of the, the comic itself and, um, and things that they would like to see happen. But I'm, I'm, I'm more so uh, a, a, a believer that they may end up going with the earlier statement of T'Challa's sister becoming um, – the Black Panther, because I, I, I do believe, I thought I heard um, Marvel say that they were leading towards the direction of having more female uh, superhero leads Representation. Right. with this new phase. Yeah. yeah, so right. with uh, Captain Marvel, um, uh, uh, what's the, God, I see her face, Black Widow, um, and other films like that, that they were going to end up having more female leads as a, a conversation of an all-female Avengers film. So uh-huh. there, there, there are many different conspiracy theories of what Disney and Marvel will do, but I would not be surprised if they go the female lead route and, and that happens. I hear you. Well, sad nonetheless, 
But Very much so. Twenty twenty could go to hell. <laughs> twenty twenty could go to hell. Um, hopefully we'll have better news next week with the NBA playoffs coming in. We got football coming up next. Well, college football, but it's soon NFL another week. So who knows how the hell that's going to work out? But uh, we got to keep hope alive. But anyway, thank you, man. We'll holler next week, brother. Thank you. All right, take care. Peace out. That's my guy. You do the same. Peace. Uh, 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 the, the yards for HBC Sports, the rest of all things HBC Sports, plus Sleazy Radio on Tuesday now, every Tuesday night on Facebook Live, as well as HeroSports.com. We talk about all things FCS Sports. Anyway, it's been a hell of a week. 2020 still being a biatch, but nevertheless, I guess we got to take out that we're still, some of us are still alive and still doing well. But thank y'all for tuning into the podcast. Scott Burke started off the clown hour. As always, keep your ass at home. If you have to, go outside, wear a mask, stay safe. And one last thing, a good old six. Hey.